It is August 23rd, 24th, excuse me. It's Wednesday, August 24th, 2.09 p.m. And I'm about to reprise my bicycle travels to Graceland Cemetery and do another one of these rambly in motion combination mic test and overall thought just thinking just thinking thoughts expressing stuff about how the conversation about EVs is and I think big parts of it suck life without some tomfoolery. Get myself a water bottle first.
Excuse me.
Uh, almost there.
Hibbard, a lot of Hibbards. Parkers. Halstead. They're all worn down. We got a warren on this side. Got grain stalks. Anchor, a wreath, some dog shit. It's fucking, well, probably about as disrespectful as what I'm doing. And a cross. Whole four of them for K E E N E Y. Keeny. Keeny. Much respect to the Keeny family.
coffee yesterday. Uh, I spat out a bunch of stuff about MP3 players comparing the various marches of technology in recent years to a single product product line essentially a uniformity around a object of high status and relatively superior technological application but A lot of very specific, very specific stuff about technology that could be easily argued has nothing to do with another vein of it. And I think you're wrong, and I think I articulated why. But for the purposes of truly getting into why I think the thesis and title of this project. Tesla will not save us. It's to dive into like sort of the wishful thinking and assumptioneering. Assumptioneering is a fun word. Uh, the wishful thinking and like bad logic that comes in when people use the measurement of replacing a car with a car with a battery instead of considering the facts of what the last hundred years have shown us about carbon emissions and that we won't we won't really be where we need to be if all we're ever doing is trying to slightly improve upon a system that was built around ignoring the problem because that's what it was. The oil and gas industry is not interested in hearing what you have to say about climate change and they have enough money to ask people very nicely to talk about something in a slightly different way. Use the, it's, the, it's, it's the cigarette companies covering up carcinogen research. It's, it's every, it's greed. It's greed and it's, uh, unfortunately never just been about getting people from place to place or in the case of the oil and gas industry, like the long term, right? Like why is, Something, I mean, it's the same as any other commodity. There's a scarcity in the short term to create some market that can be controlled and managed and profited from. The difference being that the wheat market and 
the meat market. These are not infinitely renewable, but they are reliably understood to be something we can continue to produce. Whereas oil and extractive fossil fuel industry is a treated in the same commodity status because of what's been recently extracted or what's being put on offer. But it's nonetheless a non-renewable resource. We're burning through it. And I think for a long time, people thought that that was the, that was gonna be the push, was gonna be we're gonna run out. And I think that's where the early versions of this justification around replacing Indiana Jones style, a thing with an identical thing in the form of a gas car to an EV, a gas or jet fuel to a hydrogen fueled plane. being that all that industry is built up around the opposite of that scarcity mindset. It's built around the look what we can do of, well, gotten ourselves into the position of having the most of a resource. Let's do the most we can with it. And that's how you get plastics on up to jet fuel. And the truth is, we're still answering the rough engineering questions of how to replace those things, which in my mind, given the proximity to very negative consequences of burning carbon or putting carbon into the atmosphere, we just, we have been propagandized to the point of thinking that something that is potentially never going to happen is the inevitable change because it's much easier to think about the need for solutions to be something based in, oh, we might run out at some point and we obviously are going to have to transition. It makes it much easier to just think about it in terms of one-for-one one swapping than when you talk about how the last 50 years have been a tremendous negative impact on our planet and we have to proactively turn away from the way we've been living in order to see any kind of respite from what's already damage done. <clears throat> and more importantly, we have to acknowledge that the human nature behind the assumption, well, we have to acknowledge that the human nature behind this idea of transitioning when the capital and resources and motivation and just moment in time may very well not be there to make those systems change and that when that happens inevitably people will continue to use the things that work because that's that's how it goes. 
we flow towards towards the direction of the easiest thing. That's what the human organism does best. So here's what I see as being a just as possible reality to the progress of EVs. And I say EVs because I mean Tesla, but I also mean the whole market. I think Tesla is emblematic of what's happening and what's wrong with the thinking. But as a whole, I think that that there's this presumed scenario where in a few years instead of petroleum-based fuel fuel up stations it'll be some combination of like crazy hydrogen fuel cells charging EVs and in five seconds or five minutes or you know some some number that we've yet to see anywhere close to it People were drilling and I thought it was my bike making a weird broken wheel sound it's just people drilling in the distance. Uh. So yeah. 
people are imagining some world where you're, you know, you're middle of the market Ford E EV Escape EV Explorer whatever will be able to roll up to any Shell 2.0 and plug in go you know watch a 11 minute cartoon and while you're or you know reply to emails or eat breakfast while your car is slurping up energy and then proceeding on to your destination from there and doing that every couple days maybe every couple weeks if you're lucky you also of course don't have to use anywhere near as many fuel up spots because in the minds I'm sure of most people they'll be plugging their cars in at night in their homes and so the energy is just coming from the same plug that powers their lights and their washing machine and yeah it's like a little bit of it is roughly the equivalent of adding another dryer power hookup. You can't use a standard Edison plug for like you would for a lamp or a microwave to power an EV charger. You can, but it takes about 40 hours to charge from dead on that style. So yeah, you gotta spend a couple grand, have somebody come in, set up a power hookup, probably someone who's gonna also install the charger maybe who knows and between that home charger and the swift replacement of gas stations with charging stations we uh, we see a world where EVs are an even more convenient way to travel by automobile than their com internal combustion engine predecessors. I think that's exactly the pitch that's been made to people who walk into a Tesla dealership or talk to anybody who's already bought one and is excited about it and is exclaiming how like, oh, you know, don't need to charge it as much as you think and plus it's pretty easy to do the deal in the in the spot and oh by the way as a Tesla customer I get supercharger access for free for blah 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 long and I think that it's pretty reasonable to to see why people would latch on to that and consider that as like a, a standard imagination of what's coming.
I think there's a lot of faulty assumptions about timelines and efficiencies and just some, a lot of just holdovers from the ways in which the oil, gas, and automobile industries have worked in tandem for so long that we just assume that this transition is going to be some kind of like one for one. And obviously we talked, I talked a lot about that already with regards to the car and to the reliance on technology and the sort of inevitable replacement curve. But I think even on a higher level, the technology of charging is the thing that's going to be more trouble than we think it's going to be at this moment. And obviously, the market has been told via years and years of years and years of uh, having the system that just works, going and filling up your tank. that people see an EV charging station in a parking lot, or they see a bunch of Teslas charging at a supercharger, and they just draw in that visual. comes down to it none of the pieces are in place to make that universal plug-and-play option uh, doable as the technology imagine if Ford owned the patent on gas nozzles or if different cars had different styles of engine to the point where their gasoline mixes needed to be different or just imagine that what happens when some major breakthrough because this is where I circle back to the iPod notion Right now, Tesla superchargers are the way to go because they're 15 minutes. And to me, that means, and that's 15 minutes to get most of the way to like 75%. If you want a full battery, it's more, it's honestly much closer to an hour. Like I, I drained a Tesla battery driving up to see family one day stayed with them so did not have a real charger they said they knew exactly where one was so on the way out of town we stopped and got breakfast 
I plugged in and only when I came out, and granted, this is my ignorance, but only when I came out did I realize that I was just plugged into a standard EV plug and that my battery had barely moved in the 45 minutes we'd been eating, eating breakfast. So, I turned, turned on GPS, went to a different quote-unquote fast charging station when I chose to plug it in, it doesn't even have the right plug. That's when the guy I was renting the car from calls me because he'd seen, because Tesla like messaged him that he was getting, he was just charging at a low quality charger. And that's when he told me to look for the nearest supercharger, which was not terribly far away. But I feel like it illustrates a little bit of the, the danger, right? Because there's, there's already splintering and who can charge where, how long it takes. There's all these inconsistencies. And I think if we're going to see an EV replacement of cars and we're utilizing the marketing and generationally advancing technological standards and practices of the last 30 years, we don't go too long before something somewhere breaks through and changes that 15 minute number from the fastest possible to disappointing. And I think if you know anything about heavy duty electrical, you know that it's not gonna be like a, just sending a software upgrade to change out the voltage of a brand new style of charger or power delivery system and this supercharging station that someone had to spend a hundred grand plus to run the if they have access to the utility connections near nearby is now sitting on a hundred thousand dollar investment in the Tesla equivalent of the old wide iPod charging cable when the lightning connectors came out and all of a sudden if you had the newer thing you didn't need the same technology you needed a completely new piece of tech that uh, is incompatible because it it functions better it talks to the machine better it compresses all the inconveniences down and that's how you sell people a new piece of tech
is probably most deeply rooted in just my lived experience as somebody who has to, has to coach a lot of people through odd, sometimes interesting, usually self-imposed technological shortcomings or techno and or more than shortcomings in like the they're failing to accomplish a thing it's that in my line of work people have let technology convince them that anything is possible they think well my phone the guy who sold me my phone says it shoots 4k that means that it doesn't cost anything to have a, a 4k video right my phone can edit, so why would it cost anything to edit? And like on some level they're correct. That there has been an age of great simplicity brought on by faster processing, better battery life, the time and place and resources to justify the innovation and mass production of, of technologies that make, make lots and lots of things easier, specifically like you know, the presumptions that social media will be able to <clears throat> carry your, your message directly to whoever you want it to go to. That alone is like such a, such a massive like in the course of a quarter of a lifetime we've rapidly accelerated along all these different trajectories but I think that there is a lot to be said for how that rapid acceleration gives us this false boldness, this false confidence around just, I mean, the, the best and brightest examples have all turned into documentaries and or adaptation series. Let's look at Theranos or WeWork to a lesser extent. bizarro shortcomings of Uber. I think a lot of this stuff, a lot of this acceleration assumption is rooted in stuff that makes perfect sense. You sell a thing not just on what it can do, but what it'll be capable of doing. You sell a Tesla, not just that it has batteries, because that's like the least interesting part of it. You sell a Tesla because it's fun, to, fun and fast and makes you feel good about its efficiency and there's this wink wink nudge nudge promise someday soon you won't even have to fucking drive it 
it'll just take you places. That's some real Jetson, Jetson lifestyle attraction. <sighs> but we've been hearing a lot of talk about that self-driving mechanic. One that has been two years away since 2015. And doesn't really seem any closer to happening now than in 2015. More than, many more than two, many two year cycles since. And while it seems to have been able to impress people in optimal conditions on a highway, enough for them to brag about it to their dubious friends, it nonetheless still doesn't pass the human necessity test of even people, even if you were able to argue that human error leads to more accidents than the AI error. No one's going to accept that. No one's going to get behind the wheel of that car because of the grander probability of benefit when they might end up watching themselves drive off the road because the robot thinks there's something or worse, not stop when an obstruction it doesn't recognize comes away. And I think if you buy in on a false promise for a long time, it feels much easier to just double down on the sunk costs of buying in than it does to reevaluate the promise and even more importantly, reevaluate the core structure why you want that in the first place. Because <sighs> I think it's, it, there is a, unfortunately, <clears throat> on the one end, obviously, gas and oil industry doesn't want to get prematurely fined or taxed or shut down. And they've got the, the people and capital power to Got a message. You just... For as much as the gas and oil industry tries to make itself seem 
like an inevitability or like a there's no other option we're doing the best we can we're gonna plant trees and invest in new technologies and look at that one day we're gonna we're gonna really change the game and as much as I think that that's propaganda and that I think that a lot of the core technologies behind what would make those changes are outside of the expertise and scope of the gas and oil industry and what the kind of thing they would put money behind in the first place. But I think on the other end, there is a huge push of whether it's recycling, personal water use, personal carbon expenditure. There's a lot of effort being put into making it every individual's problem when the big contributors are almost all not human entities but corporations. So, on one hand, I feel a little gross arguing for this point because I think that there's a lot of bullshit caked in the walls of our brains about how personal adjustment is how we fix climate change when that has been shown to be a relative drop in the bucket compared to what compared to what people who make decisions for massive shipping or extractive industries, manufacturing. Like the dirtiest parts of our carbon problem are not in the hands of individuals. So I don't love using this logic to argue for what I'm about to argue for, but at the same time, There's an undeniable fact I think is worth acknowledging. And that's that we haven't just been sold on something that's bad with its exhaust, but something that is bad for us as a community, as people, as social creatures, something that's authentically bad for us. not because it spits out fumes that if we could eliminate the fumes it would be perfect but 
That's something that's bad because it tells us that our life, our world should cater to us to the extent that private, personal transport is somehow like written in the Constitution in so many Americans' minds. And obviously, there's a lot of places where that is the norm for a real reason. And that's because it <coughs> it's the only infrastructure that's been properly fed into by people and cities and resources. And so you've got places that are inscrutable to approach as a pedestrian or via a public transit network because they're nothing but highways and massive arterial roads leading into neighborhoods of places with either parking lots or driveways. I grew up in a place where the only time you saw people parking on the street was when somebody was throwing a party because there were enough extra spaces that if you just had a couple people visiting they would be in your driveway. Such a tremendous amount of space given over to what's ultimately uh, maybe it's a twice a week an occasion <laughs> and those streets are plenty wide to have parked cars so when you have a twice a year occasion with people who fill up the street does that make sense and I think a lot of what I mean when I say it's bad for us has very little to do with that, like, there's some attitudinal things I think are wrong with it. I think we get stuck in our own heads and it make, makes it easier to ignore other people, to think of other people behind the wheels of their cars as less. Somehow, it's not worth considering that, because you don't need to. You turn into a much more selfish person version of yourself once you're behind tinted windows and steel. But I also just think for our bodies talk about People having to like convince themselves with gym routines and aerobics workouts and yoga videos or P90X or whatever it is. That whole industry pops up for people who spend their days 
sleeping, getting up, walking around their house, loading in a car, going to work, parking that car to walk maybe, I don't know, maybe to go up an elevator, maybe a couple flights of stairs, and then sit or walk around an office at most for a few times in the course of a day. And also they can have 20 miles of concrete between home and work. And we've normalized that to the point where it doesn't even seem like there's another option for most people. And I understand that right now that's pretty true. But if what we're talking about with EVs is some sort of revolutionary technology, some powerful moment, breakthrough, jump ahead in history that will take us to a better place. I think if that's the case, if what we're navigating ourselves towards is a, is a future where new technology will advance us incredibly, I think it's dangerous for us to accept that that technology comes in the form of a Chevy Volt and not something a little bit more addressing the systemic issues that lead to the energy expenditure for people's convenience. Because that appeasing that we do for people that appeasing really does as much to keep us from acknowledging the impact we have as anything. If you, if you look at any of the forecasting on what steps will actually lower the carbon impact, look at what will really make a dent on a personal level fewer or green airline fuel gets us a little bit EVs get us a little bit more and granted those numbers are likely rooted in like heavy adoption of EVs but no current manufacturer is capable of providing capacity-wise. Anyway, way higher on that list than fuel swapping is what in this study was described as urban infill, simply changing the calculus of density 
getting more people closer to things so that the idea of getting behind the wheel of a car fits less conveniently into their lifestyle. It's not purely for car expenditure, but it is more people being able to access things without without the same amount of energy expended, not just on their personal commutes, but obviously commutes, trips to school, deliveries, grocery runs. I think poking at that bear makes a lot of people uncomfortable because it becomes a conversation less about, oh, well, we should bike or walk more and more the biking and walking becomes a byproduct of changing how we live. And that's what Americans do not want to do. These suburbs are out here for a reason. And it is not energy efficiency. That's where I'm at. <laughs> Having grown up, making a few memories in a more dense urban setup before slightly more dense. Still very much a residential neighborhood. But one that could you know, managed to feel closer to a, uh, to a place where one needed to walk to work or school, they absolutely could.
Anyway. As much as I had some in, literally infantile understanding of what it meant to be in some kind of density, I still have never, had never lived in a place that shared walls with anybody but my immediate family until I went to college. And even then, sharing walls with a lot of people who thought and looked a lot like me and not a whole lot else and I have yet to really do much that's all that different from that other than I've lived in a lot more apartments shared walls been a neighbor and here's a couple of things that fly in the face of that idealized EV world if on the other hand we're trying to increase density because that whole charging at home thing really doesn't work if like me and tons of the people who live in the city in Chicago and New York Philadelphia The idea of having an EV that you have to park on the street pretty much nullifies any at-home charging capability. Because again, if there's The idea is that you're gonna fill her up at night. It still takes time. It can take 18 hours to fill up an EV battery all the way. So even if you're putting in a short commute or just driving a couple hours out of town there and back, You're going to have to stop at a place that'll maybe charge you money or maybe require a membership, maybe not be set up with the capacity or the right style of charger. And you're going to be there for 45 minutes. And like, yeah, maybe there's a world where every church and school and hospital and park has fucking plugs all over it. but. Picture a parking lot, and then picture a parking lot where every parking spot's got a wire run to it. And tell me that doesn't sound like not just an eyesore, but a recipe for some amount of inevitable failure just because the amount of pieces that you're putting on the end of a user experience end of a hardware interface being this like third party network which is the only way to actually get the number of plugs out would be to 
build up a heavy third-party network. And then, yeah, you got to re regulate it because you got third-party network means you got third-party profits to consider. And if they're trying to edge out their competitors to cut costs, cut corners, it's just a matter of time. And we look at look at the fucking Volkswagen's attempts to dodge air pollution and tell me it wouldn't be easier to dodge the capacity limits of something that someone might check once a year. The idea of people will do it as long as they can get away with it. And what happens when they don't get away with it is your fucking car melts and lights on fire for having the wrong kind of voltage fired up its specialty port. And you won't be able to take it to a mechanic who can try to figure out how to get you taken care of on a better deal than the dealership because that whole world will evaporate. They'll, it'll be for brakes, but like Tesla's not out here trying to get third-party mechanics to get good at doing anything besides wheels and tires because everything else, mine brakes, because everything else is proprietary technology. And even if, even if they wanted to, mechanic's not gonna throw that open and nobody know what they're looking at. You got greedy tech companies trying to use the advances in chip and battery technology to sidestep the mature industry of the automobile while still applying the same proprietary tech monopolistic mindset of an iPod or a Peloton.
just think if we can, if we have people who are out there thinking that the, the signposts all point towards every possible technology scenario working out exactly as predicted, that we're even still ignoring the systemic problems that are pushing us in that direction in the first place as being not just about needing a replacement because we're running out of gas. The need for considerations of lifestyle and benefit beyond ourselves has to play a role. Travis says I've done 14 miles. Notice how, how much louder everything gets once I leave Graceland and I'm back on a road where I have to be around fucking cars. I guess I'm not so concerned about convincing anyone of anything, dissuading someone from buying a Tesla or a car in general or whatever. I understand that I'm not an influencer. 
in that or any other way. And I'm happy about that fact. I think the reasons that people want that stuff have a lot more to do with a lot of things that would be happening with or without a need for climate adjustment. I don't believe that there's any value in trying to push for like a wholly good corporate move like that. But what I do believe is that if people are making an argument they claim some sort of moral high ground they are opening themselves up to challenges about their attitudes claim greenwashy rainbows in place of real human and technology solutions not just technology solutions feel that humans be exactly the same despite our incredible ability to adapt. think anybody who's using a Tesla to point out how good they're doing in any way other than in a capitalist status way is uh, deserving of some correction. 
to me, anybody who's making that claim that a Tesla is doing the same kind of thing as somebody who claims they have to have an SUV for their own safety. It might be technically true for them, but it's actually worse for people at large. More dangerous than a pedestrian getting hit by a, by a SUV. Let's go. Strava, what's up? 17.29 miles. That's not bad at all.
So this has been part two of my Graceland rambly conversation to myself about how EVs feel like a flawed investment in a imaginary future.